whoever you've been up to now is no sign of who you may be tomorrow. I know people like to say that, like you're somehow the sum of your experiences and all of that. It's just not true. You can create a new you tomorrow. You can begin designing that new person right now. We are living, breathing beings, and that's what we get to do. Welcome to the Positive Productivity Podcast, Episode 592. The Positive Productivity Podcast was created to empower entrepreneurs to achieve and appreciate personal and professional success. I'm your host, Kim Sutton, and if you're ready, let's jump into today's episode. Welcome back to Positive Productivity. This is your host, Kim Sutton. And today I am thrilled to be introducing our guest, Kelly McCossey. Kelly is from Love People and Make Money. And wow, I mean, right away, can't you just say that you love that title? And listeners, you know, if you've been listening for a while, you know that back in 2016, I shifted from being income focused to impact focused. And since then, it's sort of melded into the two because we can totally make an impact and make money at the same time. So Kelly, welcome. I am so excited about what you do, what you teach, what you preach, and how you are just out there impacting the world. So thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. I think we might be soul sisters. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But we can't tell our Ohio, Michigan friends because they would not allow it. Yeah. 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 But I want to know what took you on this journey and what makes you so super passionate about it? And I already told you I stack questions. So <laughs> could you take the the listeners down a, like on a walk down memory lane and tell them how you got to be where you are today? Yes. So way back in 2002, I was really broke, <laughs> really broke, single mom. I was working full time. I was managing the office at my church. I loved my job, but it didn't pay the bills. And so I started to look for ways to make extra money from home. I started to do graphic design and web design for other people. And it brought me into a community of work at home moms. Most of my clients were fellow moms. And I got blown away by all the different ways that moms were finding to make money online. But Kelly, you said 2002. I mean, this is like pre-Facebook. Yeah. Where were you? Like Yahoo forums or something? Yahoo groups. Uh-huh. Yes. Yeah. Private forums. Uh-huh. So it was a very different world. I ended up starting an internet radio show in November of 2003. It was Work at Home Moms Talk Radio. This is pre-podcasting. It was an, a streaming internet radio show where I pre-recorded it, uploaded, and you could come to my website and click play. And everyone who came to listen, were they were moms I met on private forums. So my friend Alice Sebo was running internetbasedmoms.com, and she had a private forum. Cheryl Demas had wham.com, private forum. So we did have Yahoo groups. We had a place called Rise, R-Y-Z-E.com. I think it still exists, but I don't know anybody who uses it. I've never heard of it. They were very, very early, similar versions. Rise was similar to what we experienced with Facebook groups. Okay. But yeah, really different, very tech, just text-based. But that's how we would connect with each other. And that's how I initially grew my audience was through communicating in these spaces. 
I love to interview other moms to hear about what they were doing that worked and didn't work. I ended up launching a membership site the next year, Mom Masterminds. Alice and I did that together. We taught moms about, you know, creating a website, getting traffic, building a mailing list. Can I pause you again? Because you just have me blown away because I started my first company in 2005. Mm-hmm. Still pre-Facebook. Well, yeah. pre-Facebook for most people, I actually don't know when they officially launched, but I know that for me, it was 2008, but I know they were probably already in colleges. So I'll have to look that up. Yeah. So I got started on eBay in 2005 and mm-hmm. realized, okay, I should really take it. I should have my own website as well. So I was sending my eBay customers a postcard with their order Yeah. to give them a promo code on my personal website. But I didn't have WordPress. It was, I had to hire a developer or I hired a designer who hired a developer. Yeah. Right. And it was all HTML. It was Zencart. Yeah. Which I don't even know if they're still around, but looking at the difference between like I'm setting up my shop right now in WooCommerce and Mm -hmm. thinking back to the days of Zencart. Holy moly. Oh man. And having to make like a simple change on my site. Oh, I can't even tell you how many times I took the site down. We have so much to be grateful for today. The tools that we have available, the stuff that's open source, the tutorials that are freely available. Amen to that. Yeah. Amen to that. So, okay. So you were doing graphic design and I just want to touch upon what you said. You were working in your your church office. Mm -hmm. You weren't able to pay the bills. So I was an interior architect for 10 years plus. I mean, that's what I went to school for gobs of student loans. I mean, I'm still paying them off and I graduated 20 years ago almost. Okay. So I lost my job when the economy tanked. I mean, you're in Michigan. I know that Michigan was hit hard when the economy tanked because of all the automotive stuff in 2008. I lost my job. I'm outside of Dayton. We have a lot of like part manufacturers down here and I was designing schools. So the bond Mm -hmm. issue stopped passing because the people who lost their jobs didn't want to pay for the school improvements. Yeah. Coincidentally, I ended up getting a a job as an administrative assistant at American Honda. So, you know, Honda was still doing great, even though American car companies, not so much. But I just felt like I was doing something so wrong. Here I am working 40 hours a week. Everybody was saying this should be cutting it. I mean, I was living in rent income-based housing, so Mm -hmm. I couldn't make over a certain amount without getting extra fees put on my rent, but I still couldn't break the rent. I was going through paperwork a couple of weeks ago. I fire or I shredded a decade of paperwork and I can't tell you how good it felt because when I was going through my file for that apartment complex, I probably found at least 12 eviction warnings. <laughs> yeah. It's not like I wasn't working. There was nothing that felt worse to me than knowing I was working my butt off and I still couldn't cut it. Yep. I owned my own home thanks to rural housing. Uh, You know, I was able to get financing for a house and a really low house payment. But we're talking when I I made less than $8 an hour at the church. Oh, my gosh. And so it didn't really matter how cheap the house was. The house could have been free. And I still would have been in a world of hurt because you know, stuff happens. My wellhead motor died. You know, that's a thousand dollar bill. Yeah. You know, the propane tank ran empty. It was colder winter than we expected. That's 600 bucks to fill. Yep. 
you know, those things would happen and it would just completely knock me off my feet and it would take months to feel like I was back even just like bare minimum again. I was a high school dropout. Then I was a college dropout. I just I quit everything. So yeah, I was broken. I didn't expect it to ever change, to be honest. But it did. Yes. <laughs> so can I just chime in here for listeners yeah. who are out of the country? And I haven't looked at this in a couple of years, but according to some website I looked at a couple of years ago, federal income poverty guidelines say something like $9,000 per person in a family. We have seven people in our house. So technically, we are considered low income under 63,000. My husband was working full time. I was working full time. We were bringing in about $35,000 a year. And we still didn't qualify for food assistance. Yeah. So I don't want people I don't want anybody listening to think that Well, number one, you can be working your your butt off and still just struggle day to day. And just, I remember looking at the sky and wondering, what next? Mm -hmm. Dear God, what are you going to throw at us next? Because I understand you're trying to teach us something, but this is not funny anymore. (laughs) Absolutely not funny. Like I remember standing in my front yard, just like tears running down my face. What next? Because I'm tired. I'm tired. But we pull through. Yeah. Okay. So I interrupted your story so rudely. I want to know more. I think there's probably a great reason for the emphasis on this because there's somebody listening who feels like, you know, like they're living in constant dread of the next shoe to drop. I know that's how I felt at the time. Yeah. I was so broke. I was so in debt. I so felt without options that I almost can't even tune in and relate to what I was thinking at the time, because my life is so different today. But I'll tell you that when I started my business, I just needed to make $200 a month so that I would stop getting those shutoff notices. (laughs) (laughs) I so understand. I so understand. So I was focused on, I just need to make a couple hundred dollars a month. And so I started doing the graphics and the web design for moms, helping them you know, set up a little shopping cart, make a button, make a banner. I was getting, I was charging like $5 for a button, $10 for a banner, 50 bucks. I make your whole shopping cart look good. That was my money mindset was so low. I so undervalued myself and and what I had to offer, but perfect match for my audience because my audience was highly frugal, but starting the radio show. And then the next year, starting the membership there, I experienced a major shift. Because when I started the internet radio show, I discovered that my gift for being in community and just being interested in other people, that was a natural part of my life. But now applied to business, it made money because people paid to sponsor my radio show. And the membership site, people paid in order to have access to Alice and I, to our advice. You know, the work at home mom community, even today, if you go out looking for ways to work from home, you run into a lot of crap, a lot of scams. And Alice and I had a very, had a scam free community, you know, no, no scuzzy stuff, just genuine ways to make money online. And so people would pay to be able to be in a space where they could trust the advice and the feedback. And 
to realize that my natural gifts, my gifts for being interested in other people, for connecting them with resources, for being in creating, creating a space for a community, that is loving people. (laughs) And it makes money when it gets connected to a need for somebody. And I went from only aiming to get a couple hundred dollars a month to having thousands of dollars flowing in a month. And for the first time, I actually considered paying my bills. <laughs> sounds so dumb. Like It doesn't sound dumb because I totally understand. So I'm divorced and my boys, my older boy's father lives a block and a half from my house. We mm-hmm. moved into the neighborhood after him. So it's totally our fault. But he would <laughs> drop them off before school. And yeah. my younger one walked in and he, he says, where's Dave's car? Is Dave already at work? Like, what are you talking about? He's like, well, Dave's car is gone. Like, what? And I go look outside. Sure enough. Yep. The car's gone. Well, it wasn't stolen, folks. It was repoed. (laughs) We got it back. I mean, everything has come back. But I want to share with you, Kelly, that while I was working at Honda, this is a decade after you, 2012, I was remarried by that point. I needed to make extra money. My husband was a high school dropout. He got his GED and then he started college after he kept on losing his job. He's now a video game designer, but he had three years to get a four-year degree. So he could not work and it was $12 an hour. So I was making more than you, but it still wasn't cutting it. I mean, I am not ashamed to admit that there was one time that our power was turned off and mm-hmm. I went to the box of on the end of the uh, row of apartments that we were in and I was trying to jimmy it open to turn my power back on because I mean I didn't know what to do but anyway so I started I, I went on to a freelancing website and was looking at the opportunities that were available for virtual assistants and I kept on seeing all these overseas virtual assistants who I am proud to say I have a large team of of overseas team members and I love them dearly but I thought that they were my competitor. So I was charging $8 an hour for virtual assistance with a college degree and with a decade and a half of corporate experience. But I thought that they were my competitor and I didn't have the confidence in myself to charge more. And I was looking at people who were charging 40, 50 an hour for virtual assistance. And I was like, where do they get off charging that much? (laughs) Yep. We are so soul sisters, Kim. We have journeyed the same financial mindset road. And the crazy thing is, I mean, so when I quit my job, I was contracted out for 80 hours a week because when people realized, yes, I was charging this little, but I did actually have brains. Some of them told me they nearly didn't even take an appointment with me because they didn't see how I could be charging that little. Right. They didn't trust. And I, for any of you who are listening, who are thinking that your lower rate is better. No, no, you're actually doing yourself a disservice because people will not consider you because they don't see how you could possibly know what you're doing when you don't even know how to charge for what you offer. Yeah. So I was contracted out for 80 hours and I was actually, so 80 hours a week times eight. So that's, that's still only what, $640 a week. Mm -hmm. So I was just trying to bring in $2,000 a month because that was going to be more than I was making far more than what I was making at yeah. Honda. But now, like, I just did a, a chart for my sister last week. She's my operations director. I was like, look at all these different paths that we can take to having $60,000 months. Yeah. It's not hard. 
You just need to do the work and you need to not give up. Okay. So back to your story. <laughs> I feel so rude. I'm so interrupting. No. You. When I say I actually considered paying my bills, I mean, I paid my mortgage. I paid my phone bill. I paid, you know, for my insurance when I could, but I had old credit card debt from before, right after my divorce, I lived off it for a little while. I had voluntary surrendered a vehicle that I couldn't afford to keep making the payments on. So I had this debt hanging out there. And whenever I would get the calls from the debt collectors, I would hang up. And when I would get the letters, I'd throw them away because what could I do about it? I just chose to ignore the problem. And I realized, oh my goodness, I'm actually making money, like real money. I think I'll pay my bills. (laughs) It took me about three years, but I was able to declare that I was debt free at the end of 2005. Oh my goodness. And once that happened, that's when I really took a stock of, once I wasn't sending all my money to debt collectors, I had money in the bank and I realized what I'm doing as a part-time side hustle is making way more than my day job, which by then I was making $11 an hour at the church. But I realized I wanted to do it full time. And I gave my notice, left the day job, left the church beginning of 2006. And so I've been on my own self, fully self-supporting since then. Fast forward, when I left the church, I had made about 50000 in a year. And this last year, I had cash flow in not take home, but revenue of a quarter of a million. Wow. Wow. So... I have to ask, just because I'm nosy and also because it's inspired by the book that I'm reading, I'm reading Profit First. Mm-hmm. Listeners, I'm sorry. By the time I get done finished reading this book, I know that was redundant, and you're going to be tired of hearing me talk about it. Have you ever read it? I haven't. It's been recommended, but I haven't read it. That was what I was saying, too, until I just started this past weekend. What I have been doing up until this past weekend... <laughs> is seeing the money that was in my account and thinking that it was available to spend, right? And I didn't have a budget. I wasn't looking at the money that was being spent. I wasn't paying myself first. I wasn't putting anything aside for profit or taxes. And so doing just his exercise, I'm realized, oh my goodness, I am overspending for operating expenses, underpaying myself, and I'm Mm -hmm. not at all prepared for the future. So where I was going with this is you had a cash flow of a quarter million, but have you established a budget? Like, are you conscious? Conscious probably isn't the best word, but I think it fits of what's going out versus like what you need to be going out. I can honestly say yes and no. I have always maintained a pretty low overhead. I don't create work for anyone if I can help it. So I know a lot of my contemporaries in the information marketing space, they create work so that they have to have, you know, big team of virtual assistants supporting them. And I've just never seen any reason to create work if it's not necessary. So my overhead is low. So On one hand, I do have a budget, like I just don't overspend. But on the other hand, my business growth was pretty rapid over the last year and a half, and I didn't properly account. So I had a very rude awakening with the tax man this spring. Uh (laughs) And 
I have always, and it goes back to working with work at home moms, I've always been super transparent about my income, my expenses, where it's coming from, where it's going. And so I outed myself to my community that like, ouch, I've just had a very painful experience. I did not properly track my numbers last year. So I did not properly increase that I was withholding paying for taxes. And now I'm in a pickle (laughs) that stinks. And, you know, I'll deal with it. Well, I've been in debt before, so I know how to get out. But yeah, so it's yes, no. Yes, I have a budget and it got away from me last year. Yeah. Well, I'm just in the process of changing my accounting systems. Full Mm -hmm. disclosure, my friends, is that we were tracking expenses in a Google spreadsheet. And now we're actually doing it in QuickBooks, which is picking it up automatically from my business bank account and PayPal. And it can even see, you know, if I transfer a payment from PayPal to bank, like it's taking care of it all. Yes, I need to check. I was just about to throw my laptop out the window this weekend doing this because my numbers weren't reconciling. My parents are both accountants and I committed to myself that that was something I was never going to do because it's just so blah to me. Mm -hmm. So doing this, but I realized it was an exercise I needed to do. And I'm sure that with the work at home mom community, you've seen it where, oh my gosh, this email just hit my box. I need this. It's going to help me take it to the next level. I've had these clients who purchased like $250,000 of online courses using their credit card. Oh my word. And they've never logged into the program. Well, no wonder the program isn't benefiting you. You've never even, first off, you bought it. And I'm guilty of this too. I've purchased programs and never even logged in, which is just embarrassing. But then number two, okay, so you logged in, you went through it, but did you actually implement it? Because if you're not implementing what you paid for, then what's the point of paying for it? The next email that hits your box is not your magic ticket. Oh, right. That's all I'm trying to say. Yeah, that's bright, shiny object syndrome at its best. Mm -hmm. I've never, well, partly because when I was starting my business, I didn't have any money to spend. I never developed the attitude of, oh, I can just spend my way to success. And I think some people did. I think to some degree, they thought, well, if I spend money on this course, I'll be more successful. If I spend money on this coaching, I'll be more successful. If I do this program, I'll be more successful. As if the act of getting their credit card out is going to create the success. Definitely not true. So I assumed all the credit card debt when I got divorced, all of it, Mm -hmm. because my first business, my online shop, totally tanked. I thought, well, okay, the more inventory I have, the more I can sell. So let's just max out the credit cards. Ouch. Yeah, bad idea. So I walked away with about $100,000 in debt. It was so bad. Like I was getting advice from people to file bankruptcy, Mm -hmm. but I was so broke that I couldn't even afford the $2,500 bankruptcy fee. And I'm somewhat thankful for that now. It has come back to bite me, but I too have been getting out of debt. I mean, listeners, I just want you to know what exactly it can happen when you're ignoring those bills, because we really are soul sisters. And we started calling the people who were calling our fan club, because it's really embarrassing when you have people at your house and the phone just keeps on ringing. (laughs) Oh, it's just a fan club and people didn't question, you know. But if you say, oh, it's the collections, um, yeah. And then the mail, I can't do anything about it today. So I didn't go so far as to throw it out, but it just got shoved into one box and one box turned into four boxes of just outstanding bills. 
But what happened was, is that one of those credit cards that I hadn't paid off, they ended up writing it off against me. And Mm -hmm. the IRS came back and said, this company wrote it off. And now that makes your income look this much higher because it, it affected my income for that year. And now you owe us a refund for the refund that we paid you. How do you want to pay that? Oh, my word. I didn't know that that sort of thing happened. Yeah. Yeah. So don't use that technique is all I'm saying. <laughs> because that that was pretty. I mean, first off, when you get a letter in the mail from the IRS, like your heart starts beating like 10 times faster, like, oh, yeah. my gosh. And then when you open it up and see this is a bill. <laughs> Yeah. What the heck? I got a refund last year. Why do I? <laughs> yeah. this was, and they are coming back to me. So I got a divorce in 2011. This write-off didn't end up happening till 2015, but I only found out about it in 2018. Mm-hmm. So they're going back several years and charging me back. Wow. Yeah. But I love how you've been making these changes. Listeners, regardless of your spiritual beliefs. I was listening to a podcast last night. I listened to Elevation Church podcast with Stephen Furtick. And I was actually listening to one that was talking basically about not giving up. And regardless of what your spiritual beliefs are, I'm going to put it in the show notes because it's just such, so many people give up when they're two steps away from what they're waiting for. They can't see it. So they give up. And I, oh my gosh, I have been so close to giving up. And had I, like, big things happened within a week or two weeks or sometimes a month, but I wouldn't have seen that. But the the show yeah. notes, by the way, are at thekimsutton.com forward slash PP592. Well, so to speak to that giving up, so I became really aware of that I had a poverty mindset. And a poverty mindset essentially says there is not enough, no matter what I do. I won't get enough. And so I have to protect what I have. It's just just a general attitude of lack and fear and limit. It's a very fixed attitude. Like this is what it is. This is my life. I'm a poor person. Even if it doesn't translate to poor, it's still like fixed and limited. Like, so maybe you don't consider yourself poor, but you're just at the lowest level of middle class. So you don't ever get to do anything fun. You know, you're not doing things that that would bring you joy. Fixed limit. This is it. This is my life. That's a poverty mindset. How did you protect your money? Like when you say you were protecting it, how did you protect it? Because I protected it in a way that was definitely not protecting it. And I'll share after you share. Now, when I say protect it, I'm not thinking of myself necessarily, but I'm thinking about people. Let's say somebody is struggling at such a low level of income right now that they're receiving some kind of an assistance, whether it's some food stamps or some childcare help or, or something. They're getting help and they get a chance to make some more money or get a better job, but that would cause them to lose their benefits. They'll say no to the better job. Because the benefits are the for sure thing that they're protecting. Right. Like, yeah, maybe I'll make more money. But for sure, if I stay where I am, I get my help. That's what I mean by the protection. I can totally see that. Well, I I was raised in a way that if I didn't spend the money that I made, I got my first job when I was 11. I was delivering papers. 
and babysitting. If I didn't spend my money on what I wanted to spend it on, then my money was going to go to help with household expenses. And I didn't Mm. want that happening. Like, and I wouldn't have a choice in that. If I had money, it was going to be gone. So I started spending the money before anybody else could. And that carried with me all the way through last year. And I heard it on a podcast. Somebody was talking about the same thing. I don't remember what podcast it was and who the person was, but they had also had their first job and they were 11 delivering papers and they were saving for a bike and they got home one day and their piggy bank had been broken open. Mm -hmm. And they went to tell their mother that, you know, they had been robbed and the mother had said, no, I needed the money. So I took it. And I realized every time we got a refund or any type of big payment, we were spending the money as fast as it was coming in just to make sure that nobody got to it before we did. Yeah. And that is not protecting your money. You just right. profit first says take out some of that money. I mean, according to my bracket, I should be taking 5% out and putting it into an account that I can't touch. Yeah. Imagine that. That way, the next time the well, what did you say? The well tank or whatever bus, then you have money the to take care of it. Tank. Yeah. yeah. Or the well head. Yep. 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 Yeah. If you're listening to this and you're thinking, oh, yeah, you're describing me. I'm pretty sure I have a poverty mindset. I have this, this subtle belief that this is all there is. There'll never be enough. What I want you to understand is that there's another way to think. A fixed mindset says, this is it. That's all there is. It'll never change. The opposite of a fixed mindset is a growth mindset. And a growth mindset says, so, oh, look, I noticed this is how it is today. But tomorrow could be different. This is who I am today, but this is not who I will be tomorrow. I'm not a tree. I have legs. I can walk. I am not a rock. I don't have to wait for someone else to pick me up and move me. I am a human being. I have places to go. I have spaces to create. I have people to love and money to make. And I can. You can literally adopt a new mindset and start walking things out differently. Oh my gosh. When can we meet like halfway? I'll go halfway up 75. You come halfway down 75. And I can give you a big hug for saying exactly that. I wanted to take a quick break from today's episode and ask you if you need to take a break from your business. Maybe you're working too many hours. Maybe you're trying to work on too many things. Maybe you have too many clients who just really aren't aligned with your greater purpose. If this sounds like you, I want to offer you an opportunity to join the Positive Productivity Pod, my monthly mentorship and coaching community. For only a dollar, you can jump in, get started, and enjoy 10 days in the community where you will meet so many awesome entrepreneurs. And then twice a month, you'll be able to hop on a live call with all of us and get the feedback that you need in that very moment for your business. If you're interested in starting today for only a dollar, head on over to thekimsutton.com forward slash pod to get started. Before you go on, though, I just have a quick question about that. I'm sure you've seen it just as much as I have, and I've been guilty of doing it for myself. Being in the poverty mindset, I have put out products. I am proud to say that I haven't done this in at least two years, but I came up with a spur-of-the-moment product idea, threw it out there, and it tanked. Like, no money whatsoever. I know that we all have within us great ideas, 
And personally, I feel like we need to not do spur of the moment launches because now that I've done it because of the poverty mindset, I can spot a poverty mindset launch from like a mile away. I see it on Facebook and I'm like, wait a second, this just completely came out of left field as compared to anything I have seen this person do before. I did not get any like emails in advance, you know, because you can tell when they're getting ready for a launch because you start getting emails more regularly. But this just comes out of complete left field. And you're like, yep, somebody's looking to pay the rent or the mortgage this month. <laughs> Does it, I mean, do you? Is that necessarily a bad thing? It's interesting because I fly by the seat of my pants. There are big rocks planned things in the course of my year, but there's a lot of impromptu stuff too. Well, I'm not saying about the impromptu, but when it's coming out of, because I, I have chronic idea disorder, I'm writing the book on it. So I get mm-hmm. ideas, you know, I'll stand up after this podcast and I'll probably have 18 yeah. new ideas that hit my brain. Yeah. But where I was falling short for myself was that I was seeing what was working for everybody else. And regardless of whether or not it was even in my bucket, regardless of whether or not I had any passion for it. I was trying to make my own version. And I will tell you that when I was creating those courses, you could hear it in my voice. It was like Ferris Bueller, Bueller, Bueller. Mm -hmm. Like who would want to listen to that? If I'm putting out content that I love, it's going to sound as passionate as I am here on the podcast until you listen to like the late in the day recorded ones. And by that point, my brain is fried. But you want to hear like my totally excited podcast recordings that are recorded like early in the day. That's when I want to be recording my courses because you'll be able to feel my passion in those. Yeah. So that's all I'm saying is like, I can tell because it just feels very off. And I'm not saying that we can't shift. I have shifted. But there's a difference. To yeah. Me. So cluing in on the, what brought it to mind for you, the poverty mindset, I love to fly by the seat of my pants. I actually just did a challenge that was created, promoted, and launched within two weeks. And it was super fun. I can get away with that with my community because I do stay in my wheelhouse of content marketing and community building. But there are times where I've seen somebody else, they have a great idea, but they sabotage it by launching it in a very like, I don't want to say half ASS. <laughs> oh, it just, totally is though. I've done it. You know, they just throw it out there like, boom, whether it is like, I got to make some money right now. It's interesting. Cause like I say, I've just recently done that and I got away with it with my community and I had a lot of fun. So somebody else might look and say, Oh, well, Kelly does things on the fly. I can do things on the fly. But if you have a very small mailing list, if it's outside of the wheelhouse, if your people aren't familiar with you covering that topic, if you've done no content creation that led up to that offer, it is going to flop bad. And so when someone does that without awareness, then it's kind of like, oops, I wonder what I did wrong there. But when someone does it with awareness, And I think they're more aware than they're willing to admit a lot of times. Uh It's just a self-sabotage attempt. It's just, they're proving, they have a poverty mentality and they're seeking to prove it, which sounds ridiculous, right? It does sound ridiculous. But I used to do it all the time. Yep. Like, yeah. I mean, I rebranded. My son grew up, left the home a long time ago. He's 29. So I rebranded from Work at Home Moms Talk Radio many years ago. That's not my niche anymore. But when I was going through my rebrand, I did a lot of sabotaging 
because when I was serving work at home moms, I could play behind a safe zone of moms are frugal, moms can't afford to spend very much. Oh my gosh, that's so huge. When I rebranded outside of the market, people started to call me on my pricing. Yes. And I did not know my own value. And so I kept subtly just proving that I wasn't worth it by half, you know, going off half cocked with things. And you're hitting me in the gut right now. (laughs) Like, not because I'm doing it right now, but because it's like, uh, yep, done that. Yep. I mean, I have my membership community, the Positive Productivity Pod. First, I went really low, really low for my product idea. Good thing my all at the end of 2017 or September 2017, all my sites were hacked. Long story there. I'm not even going to get into it. All my sites were hacked before I had the ability to launch that. So it didn't end up getting launched until just a couple months ago. But in the meantime, I was thinking about going really high. Mm Mm-hmm. And then I have found that comfortable medium. But the reason I went really low at the beginning was because I'm looking to serve the people who are where I was just a few years ago, you know, the broke, broken and burnt out. And I I say that with love because I understand where they're at. But I was like, I can't charge them more. They don't have money for it. But I also know for myself that when things were offered to me for free or for very little money, I wasn't taking advantage of it. I wasn't logging in. I wasn't doing the work because, oh, that's not that much. Well, all of those not that muches, and especially when you're not taking action on them, they add up to a lot of unused stuff. Mm-hmm. Then I read No BS. It was Dan Kennedy. No BS sales success in the new economy or something like that. Like That was my last Kindle read. I, I now read real books. Authors, please forgive me. I read physical books and that's why I called it real, but I just meant in my hand books. So I read that and he used the example of a person who was doing sales calls who sold fire protection for homes. And this person walked into a house and like their kids were wearing hand-me-downs. My kids wear hand-me-downs. The rugs were all tattered. Come on, I'm not going to buy new rugs until my kids stop spilling Kool-Aid on them. The furniture Mm -hmm. is, you know, old, same thing as the Kool-Aid. But that doesn't mean that I don't need fire protection. But this person walked out because they thought that the person couldn't afford it. Like they didn't even yeah. give their pitch. But yeah. what what he says in this book is what would happen the next morning if you saw that their house had burned down because they didn't have fire protection? Wouldn't that yeah. feel like crap? There, I said it. Now you can say ASS the next time that you feel so inclined to. <laughs> but, you know, just because it doesn't look. I mean, I drive a 1996 GMC conversion van. It runs it's the same thing. I am not going to upgrade my van until my kids can learn how to control their cereal and their Kool-Aid. Mm-hmm. Maybe I will. Maybe they just won't be invited into my car. But, you know, I'm totally happy. And that does not mean just because I drive this less than pretty vehicle does not mean I don't have money to spend on what I need. Yep. Yep. So I love that you talked on that. Well, so let's just talk a tiny talk a minute about funnels. So my pricing, just similar to you, I, I found my sweet spot. I've got I've had coaches who wanted me to charge, you know, $20,000 for my private coaching program. I don't want to. I just don't want to. I have a funnel. My private coaching program comes in around $10,000 a year. My group coaching program is $200 a month. I have an abundance of training programs that range in price from $27 to $197. I have an abundance of content out there and an abundance of free opt-ins. 
And so my funnel, I call my it's a plump funnel. There's a lot out there for free, pulling people into low cost offers and mid cost offers, and then coaching programs. And then they have the possibility of a coming to an event and a retreat or doing some private coaching. I have no interest in running a $20,000 coaching program at this time because I'm a business coach, but business coaching is not my model. I'm not living off of my private coaching clients. I am living off of this whole funnel where people show up every day and buy something. It all works together. And so Did you say plump funnel though? I, I did. I love that. I it's a love plump that. Funnel. Okay, and pardon the kids in the background. They are excited about whatever Dada is making for lunch. But, um, <laughs> you know, but the- I have a plump funnel too. There are so many ways in. There are so many low dollar offerings, mid dollar yeah. offerings. And then it, it takes them like it, a funnel really gets skinnier and we become more focused on what we're offering at the top. But at this point, I don't have, I don't have that 20,000 either. The thing is, there are people who, who are in my community. They just came in through an affiliate challenge I did. I did a challenge for beginners, complete beginners. And so these are people who, some of them like dug change out of their couch to come up with $37 to take this challenge because they are brand spanking new and didn't have any money to spend. But there are other people who came into that challenge who went on to join Momentum Coaching Mastermind or take a, a special offer I made on a year of all access to my library. I have created a funnel that is just as welcoming to a newbie as it is to a well-established person who's looking to optimize their income. My point was there's something for everybody at whatever price point. And so, I don't know, I guess that was my point. No, I love it. And listeners, if you have not yet listened, it's actually the episode that was just released Last week, when this episode is released, Sarah Noked, part two, we were talking about that same thing. Like, you may be wanting to serve the higher level clients right now, but there are definitely, most likely have offerings that will serve the people who will eventually grow to your higher level offerings, and you'll be able to foster them, you'll be able to grow your know, like, and trust factor with them, you'll be able to grow, the, well, I just want to repeat that, the trust, because that's so important. It's hard to get that first dollar, but when you grow that trust, and you prove your worth and your value, then they will eventually grow into that next level. So I absolutely love that. Now, I want to yeah. jump over for a moment. I know you have a live event coming up. Can you share about that? Yes. Thanks for asking. So my business is all about content marketing and community building. And I do a live event every year called Exposure and Profit. And I invite people to speak who have exemplified content marketing or community building, who I believe have you know, a great story to share, a great strategy to learn or that are just plain inspiring and motivating. It's a three-day event. I've been doing it in Atlanta, which I live in Michigan. And when I did my first exposure and profit event, this is my sixth. But when I did the first one, I looked around at where should I host it so that it's not a really big travel adventure for me. And nobody at, at the time wanted to come to Detroit. Today, I could probably do a Detroit event but not five years ago. And so I'm like, maybe Chicago. And then I actually chose Toronto because I had a great base of members there, people who'd been part of my membership. 
way back in the day. I had a foundation of people. So yeah, I went to Toronto. It's only four and a half hours from me. And it was great. I did it in Toronto for two years. And then there was an event we used to all go to in Atlanta every year that they stopped operating. And I decided, well, I'm going to try Atlanta this year because it's so easy for people to fly in and out of Atlanta. And I've kind of fallen in love with it there. So it's coming up October 11th, 12th, and 13th. Awesome. Okay, I need to know more. And I'm serious. We need to meet somewhere between (laughs) Dayton and Detroit because I just want to give you a big hug for everything that you are doing, everything that you have done, everything that you have overcome. Because even though I'm on the same path, just a different one, I know what I'm trying to say. Just bear with me (laughs) for a second. Like you are inspiring me. So thank you. I don't know if you've experienced what I'm experiencing, especially this month is a really unique serendipity of running into people who have walked like this similar journey of, you know, realizing my value, stepping into comfort in operating in my own gifts and seeing more flow is just the best way to put it. Serendipity keeps slapping me in the face. So I keep on, (laughs) I hear you completely. And yes, in this month, I mean, and we are only 18 days in. Yes, I am time stamping this. We are 18 days into the month of June, 2019. And oh my gosh, this month has probably been one of the most impactful in so many ways in my business ever. And it's completely, just completely amazing. I want to ask you, Kelly, can we bring you back for a part two? Because I want to dig into a lot of what you said even further. Oh, heck yeah. Yeah. So let's get that set up. But in the meantime, where can listeners find you online, connect, get to know more, all that awesome stuff? So exposureinprofit.com is the web page for the event. You can go check that out. Um, my home on the web is lovepeoplemakemoney.com. That's where I blog and podcast and have my online home. Awesome. And that was, all of the links will be in the show notes, plus all the books and everything that we talked about. So head on over to thekimsutton.com forward slash PP592 to get a hold of all that great stuff. I do not want you going though while you are driving. Please, heck no. <laughs> Thank you so much again. Seriously, like I feel bad cutting off now, but I'm sure you know, like we have to not only for both of our time, but for the moms who are listening, for the entrepreneurs who are listening, I often squeeze podcasts in between appointments and I just want to get the whole bite size, you know, the whole thing in that time that's allotted. So we'll definitely do a part two. But before part two, do you have a parting piece of advice or a golden nugget that you can share with the listeners? If there's a golden nugget you guys pluck from today's conversation, I hope it is that whoever you've been up to now is no sign of who you may be tomorrow. I know people like to say that, like you're somehow the sum of your experiences and all of that. It's just not true. You can create a new you tomorrow. You can begin designing that new person right now. We are living, breathing beings, and that's what we get to do. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Positive Productivity Podcast. When I'm not podcasting, I'm supporting six to seven figure business coaches with their marketing automation and entrepreneurs like you through my coaching and mastermind programs. I want to invite you to visit thekimsutton.com to learn how I can help you take your business to the next level.